your need-to-know cultural snapshot of Wisconsin and beyond. This is What's on Tap with Sandy Max, a deep dive into all things intriguing, riveting, and entertaining. And now your host for the evening, here's Sandy Max. It's a super Sunday, and on this show you will hear highlights from the past week, including the brand new beer in honor of a legendary and uniquely shaped Marquette University dormitory, how you can enjoy Black History Month on the big screen, and one of my Super Bowl moments from 1994 that may surprise you. And the song you need to hear is a perfect football song by the late, great, and bodacious Mojo Nixon. We start with a woman from Wisconsin who won at the Grammy Awards last Sunday night. Milwaukee born and bred music producer who graduated from Pius and Marquette, Cheryl Pavelski. She's owner of Omnivore Recordings, and she has Grammy Awards for her work on box sets of music by Hank Williams, beloved PBS star Mr. Rogers, and the Chicago band Wilco. She visited What's on Tap on the Friday before the Grammys to share what the experience is like to be a nominee this year. And then, on Monday, we got to find out what it was like to be a winner. Here's Cheryl Pavelski chatting Monday afternoon from Los Angeles, California. I am so excited for you. Congratulations! Oh, boy. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like maybe you've been enjoying the celebration, maybe an after party or two after the Grammys? You know, we didn't make it to any because uh, of the extremely crazy terrible weather we're having I, I was i was just telling my mom oh wait hi mom <laughs> we were just, i was just telling my mom um that you know everybody was worried before the show but it had remained dry like we got in we went down the red carpet just the first couple of drops so we we made it into the ceremony relatively unscathed and uh but it was the exact opposite when we came out so it was pretty harrowing right Wow. It was something to see people in beautiful, beautiful clothes, probably some really expensive clothes wearing garbage bags. (laughs) (laughs) To protect it. Oh, sure. Yeah. They were handing them out as people were trying to figure out, you know, which way to leave. So unfortunately, um, we didn't do the after party thing. It was it felt um, well, first of all, we were soaked by the time we got to our car and any after party wouldn't be fun. But it also felt a little dangerous last night. What an unglamorous end to a Grammy night to have to wear your garbage bag home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's that, that'll keep you grounded, though, right? It does. It does. It keeps you humble. Well, you're Midwestern humble already, but I want you to brag. What were the wins okay. last night? This one is for Concord Records. I, I started this project uh, 17 years ago when I worked there. So this is for Stacks Craft Recordings Concord Records. Uh, the first one was for Best Album Notes, and that Grammy went to my co-producers, Miss Deanie Parker and Mr. Robert Gordon. And then they had to turn right around and come back out for Best Historical Album. So the rest of us joined them, and uh, I was I was extra thrilled because Rufus Wainwright was the presenter in our categories, and um, I'm just a big fan girl. <laughs> I loved. I'd asked you before who you got starstruck by, so I'm glad that even if you didn't get starstruck and you maintained your composure, that you got geeked, <laughs> that you were really excited to see someone there like that. Oh, it was so great. You know, I mean, I, I would have loved just. Um, 
uh, hang out and gab with them, you know. <laughs> but it was neither the time nor place, and I had work to do. So, <laughs> well, now you've got a great uh, opener, though, to pop him an email or get in touch with his people and go, "Hey, last time I saw you, we were on stage at the parties uh, together. Let's pick up that conversation." Yeah, <laughs> we've 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 been in touch before because I've um, I've produced some records with his mom, Kate McGarrigal, um, uh, of her music. And so um, we've been on a few email chains. (laughs) Where did you wind up sitting at the main event? We were just off to the right of the stage, which was um, pretty great seats. You know, when when the uh, uh, pyrotechnics were happening, we were close enough that we felt them. (laughs) Felt some of that warmth? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So from your side of things and seeing, I watched it on TV, yeah, And there were some memorable moments that seemed to play really well, just even on the small screen. Mm. But to be there in person, mm-hmm. what were some of the big emotional and impressive moments for you? I loved the uh, performance of Fast Car, Tracy Chapman. Her voice is amazing. And, you know, I mean, her songs are amazing, but I just love listening to her. Tracy Chapman seemed truly touched and like that irrepressible mm-hmm. smile. There's just a real sweetness yeah. and pureness to her. Yeah. The whole place was singing with them. You know, I just, it was just amazing. I loved Miley Cyrus. I loved the Billie Eilish. Those were standouts. Um, I don't know if they had it on the broadcast, but after Billy Joel did performed his new song, but he, as, as everybody was walking out, he closed the show with You May Be Right. They did show that. It was They did fun. show that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That was a lot of fun. There were a lot of really compelling and really amazing performances. I mean, anytime I get to see Annie Lennox, who's complaining, right? It's just—it's a beautiful thing just to be in the same room with her. You know, the Joni Mitchell was just unparalleled. You know, I mean that—that that was with Lucius on backup and Allison Russell and and Brandy Carlisle. That was a really special moment. She doesn't have all of the facility that she once had, but. Her voice was just perfect for that song now. I mean, it, it inhabited the song in a different way. And she still uses those blue notes and those jazz notes to color the melody. And I, I just thought it was spectacular. It was so, a com- so many things. Yeah, It was a compelling, <laughs> tender performance, yeah. a poetic. And to have her slowly yeah. revolve in the chair to face the audience and it had the oh, audience yeah. erupt. It was it was very yeah. magical again on screen. And yeah. you realize who else was on stage? Sister yeah. Strings are the yep. sisters from Milwaukee. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yes. right. They're in your orbit now. I know. We have to we have to meet sometime. I've I've never had the uh, pleasure of getting to know them. I did have another uh, Wisconsin person that I hadn't met before come up and introduce himself at the nominees party. Uh, Daniel Murphy. He was one of the nominees for Best Box Set Design. So that that was pretty funny. I, I have no idea how he knew who I was. <laughs> but, um, it, it's nice to be in touch now. Oh, so, well, after all these Grammy wins, Cheryl, uh, you're, you're yeah. getting to be known. This is a good thing. Uh-oh. Your reputation <laughs> might be preceding you. What that acceptance speech was like and insights from Grammy Award winner from Wisconsin, Cheryl Pavelski, next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. Welcome back to What's on Tap on WTMJ. I'm Sandy Max, and you're about to find out 
about the joy of winning a Grammy. Here's more of my day after the awards conversation with music producer and owner of Omnivore Recordings and Milwaukee native, Cheryl Pavelski. This is part of the acceptance speech and more of our chat together. Making Their Soul was inspired and produced by Cheryl Pawalski. Long before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, Stax founder Jim Stewart and his sister Estelle Axton gave the Stax songwriters a racially integrated paradise where they were encouraged to discover and develop their authentic talents by Al Bell, and they prospered. This set highlights some of Stax and America's most talented rhythm and blues songwriters, Eddie Floyd, William Bell, Steve Cropper, Homer Banks, Mac Rice, Betty Crutcher, Bobby Manuel, Henderson Thigpen, and others. That is the voice of Deanie Parker. She is a Stax songwriter, and she was on stage last night accepting one of two Grammy Awards that the seven-CD box set written in their soul, the Stack Songwriter Demos, won last night for Best Historical Album, also for Best Album Notes. And as a vinyl junkie, I just love liner notes. You learn even more about the music process. Cheryl Pavelski, owner of Omnivore Recordings, her own record label, has been working on this project for 17 years. And Cheryl you may know her already. You heard her on What's on Tap on Friday, and she's a Milwaukee native and a Marquette grad and has been working in the music business as a music producer for decades now. And she got to be at the Grammys and be part of the Grammy Glow, winning another Grammy. And we're going to pick up that conversation about last night's Grammys experience. And now that we've heard that acceptance speech, Cheryl, was the acceptance speech what you envisioned? Yes. I've been envisioning that moment since I knew this had a chance. It was important to me that uh, Ms. Parker had an opportunity to have a platform to tell the world about Stacks and, and its importance culturally and historically. I, I'm, I, I'm just starting to look at the pictures. You know, the services are just starting to load them up, and it's the picture I had in my mind. I, I, couldn't, I could not be happier. I couldn't be more happier or more tired. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thrilled when I saw on the stream that that's what you had shared with me on the Friday yeah. before the Grammys, that it wasn't so much for you, but that you really wanted, yeah. especially Deanie Parker, who you'd been working with for almost 20 years on this project, and her yeah. loyalty to Stax Records, that you wanted her to be the woman in the spotlight at that mm-hmm. moment. My heart grew three sizes when I saw that. <laughs> Well, without a doubt, I, you know, I mean, she's been a champion for the label for decades, you know, to be in a position to pull something across the finish line with her and then just step aside and let her do her thing. It was remarkable. I, I felt for her, though, because after you win a Grammy, you have to go do photos and press and all this stuff. And basically you're walking from the theater, you go underground, like through a series of tunnels and stuff. And yeah and and i just wanted her to have a chair <laughs> you know oh, and just be okay. able to get off her feet for a minute you know it, the whole day takes stamina the whole week takes stamina <laughs> but you know it's um it's a lot of walking and a lot of hitting your marks and having a, the presence of mind to crystallize your thoughts for the press and then you walk to the next room and you do more and you walk to the you know so it was the the rush of winning is one thing and then you have to do all of these other things. So uh, she did it. She was a trooper. (laughs) Hopefully she was riding high on some adrenaline and joy. 
I sure hope so. <laughs> Aww. I have to imagine that your phone was like a packet oh, yeah. of Pop Rocks just going off nonstop, <laughs> lighting up with texts <clears throat> and joy. Is there anybody that yeah. you heard from that surprised you? I've heard from so many eras of people from my entire life, you know, um, but, you know, also some dignitaries and luminaries, some other uh, musician people that I really love very much. And, uh, you know, some of my Wilco people checked in and uh, Adam Weiner from Low Cut Connie checked in and folks with a very good taste in music have checked in. <laughs> and that's got to feel good because yeah. I know it's the music business and this is yeah. your job, but it's also a huge labor of love, the level of detail and the level of research it takes to create mm. the music collections that you do. Does winning a mm. Grammy, what does it do for you other than make you feel great? <laughs> but it does it open doors to other projects? Does it allow you to get to a next level as a business? What does it do? I would hope it would do all of those things. In reality, if, if you're a performer... You sell more records and you get more streams and, and, you know, it raises your visibility. Yeah, you get more notoriety. Yeah, people know who you are now. Yeah. In my part of the business, which is, you know, I, I always say it's like a little cul-de-sac of the business. Not to be disparaging, but, you know, the, the records that are historical-based kind of seem like they've already been there, right? Because I'm dealing with older music. And so, you know, if I say, oh, I produced a Beach Boys thing when I was at Capitol, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, I know the Beach Boys. Like, they, you know, it's um, but they might think oh, I already have a greatest hits or something, you know. So I think in, in my part of the business, it makes people within my part of the business more aware. It's not like, um, you know, I hope this project sells sells more records for stacks and craft. And I hope people might be compelled and interested to check it out. My experience has been it just doesn't do that as much for historical or album notes or those categories. So for me and, and for Mike Graves, my restoration mastering engineer, I think people within the business look at it as sort of a sign of we know what we're doing. <laughs> like the good <laughs> housekeeping seal of approval. You can trust yeah, us. Yeah, that works in our favor. But, you know, you also get a lot of folks that are like, oh, if I work with them, they'll, you know, they'll win me a Grammy. <laughs> and that's, you got to weed that out because it's, it's not necessarily so. Yeah. So it's the stroke of midnight. You make it home safely in the mm. rain. And what's mm -hmm. the Monday after winning a Grammy like for Cheryl Pavelski? Um, work Zoom calls, uh, <laughs> committee Zoom calls, talking to you and my mom. And <laughs> Oh, wait. Hi, Mom. Oh, I said that already. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you yes. can never give Mom enough love. I'm sure she's I extremely know. proud of you. And did your brother and nephew have a good time? Oh, yes. In fact, um, my nephew is quite the musician already, and I was so pleased for him to be able to attend this because uh, he's a, he plays cello, and um, there were so many string players last night on the stage. Uh, what a great representation of, you know, if he wants to do that at some point, it's something to aspire to. So the sweetest thing is I heard to, uh, from some friends who were sitting next to them was they both got all kind of teary-eyed. <laughs> That's so, cool. That's yeah. pride. You know, I, yeah. I, I feel like the older we all get and you get past certain career milestones, it's like making your yeah. family proud is one of the best things you can do. Yeah, if I could make my brother cry some more, great. <laughs> <laughs> 
without the pinching and the punching. That's yes, right. that's the right yeah, way yeah. to do it. It's just so wonderful that they came out, and it's it's such a, a, a fun thing to share with them. It's a wonderful yeah. job that you have preserving history. Well, and again, to win for this Stax record collection during Black History Month, I think it makes it extra special. It's just another layer to an accomplishment and, and to what you've you. devoted your life to. Thank you. So many good things about this project. I just couldn't be uh, more pleased with the outcome. What, what, a, what a great way to kind of put, put a finish line on this, this project that has taken so long. And um, it's just full of beautiful songs. And I hope some of them become other people's favorites because I've felt living with them for so long that, that these are all songs that could have been hits and they have been in my head for all this time. So I hope everybody checks it out. Cheryl, thank you so much for spending time on your post-Grammy day. We'll be keeping an eye on what you're doing and stay safe in the California weather. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, everyone. Cheryl Pavelski, a Grammy award-winning Marquette University alumna. And yesterday was National Marquette Day, so you may have seen more blue and gold around than usual. A brand new beer in honor of one of the more unique parts of the Marquette campus is now available. Find out what it tastes like and how it was created next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. What's on Tap with Sammy Max is back on WTMJ. College students are typically known for drinking beer, and one group of Marquette students have created a beer as a project with Wisconsin business leaders. Blue and Gold Brewing, LLC, is a student-run business venture, providing the opportunity to get hands-on experience and collaborate with Marquette alumni business leaders in brewing. Last year, in honor of Marquette's 1977 NCAA basketball win, Blue and Gold Brewing released their first beer, called 77 Golden Ale. Well, there's a new brew this year, released just in time for National Marquette Day yesterday. One of the five students working on this project, Marquette Sr. and Blue and Gold Brewing's Director of Entrepreneurship and Finance, D'Angelo Alvarado, visited What's on Tap to tell us more about making what's called the Beer Can Cream Ale and why it has that name. So what's the recipe? How do you come up with that? We actually had a sampling with a previous CEO of uh, Leinenkugel's, Dick Leinenkugel. Wow. He was a previous alumni at Marquette, and he kind of gave us the professional layout. There is a thing called a beer chart or a beer board where you tell the brewers what exactly you would like, what flavors, what aromas. And he taught us the five ways to sample a beer, the look, the taste, along three other lines. He gave us the correct path on making this beer the way we wanted to. Getting guidance from Dick Leinenkugel. That's, that's a heck of a mentor. Yeah, we, uh, we kind of landed between an Italian Pilsner, very similar to the Peroni, but different, of course, and a cream ale. Something that the alumni told us last year, the four team members, was looking around at National Marquette Day and seeing every one of their peers having a sip of their 77, of a product they created. I, can, I don't want to speak for my peers, my student members, but we wanted something like that, too. We wanted to be proud of the product we created, and we wanted to be proud of being Marquette Bruin. Why is it called the beer can? So we know from the first time I got recruited to go to Marquette, a few of my family friends' parents, they remember... The McCormick Hall. They remember 16th in Wisconsin. Exactly. Yep. They remember living in those square-shaped rooms. Pie-like. They were even more pie- yeah triangular because yeah. the building was a complete circle. It looked like a beer can. And that was our inspiration. We wanted to stay on the exact same line of the 77 right off the national championship. 
And I think what else does Marquette speak about but the 53 years of existence that this building stood for? So much happened in that building. The beer can building of McCormick Hall made such an impression when I drove up with my dad to take the test, to get tested into Marquette, my very first campus visit, I immediately pointed that building and said, I want to live there. And then you do the orientation, and I remember Father Stemper was who we visited with, and he used to feed the squirrels. And I got very excited. I said, I know exactly what dorm I will choose. I want to live in that one. And he gently said, that's the all-boys dorm. (laughs) I guess I won't be living there. Okay. It is a place that saw a lot of life, because all the freshman guys that I knew spent a lot of their time not just studying, but playing vicious pranks on each other, whether it was filling up an entire room with newspaper while somebody was gone for an hour, lots of uh, water and buckets over doors. There was a lot of antics going on in McCormick Hall. So it, it saw a lot of life in those 50-some-odd years. Well, that's something I missed out on. So, I mean, some of the, but you're keeping the legend going by creating this microbrew. Once you go through Marquette, you live something that's spiritual. You, you want to get back to community, to society, and what better way than to empower students on learning more. This is a collaboration, the Blue and Gold Brewing. So how many students, 21 and older, because this is a microbrewery, but how many students are there working with the different breweries? So we have a team of five right now. Mm-hmm. We have Stella, the graphic designer. She does everything from designing the posters to the beer can. She was really like the key factor into making this happen. That's- we had... We had no creativity if it wasn't for her. And Stella's got a great eye for this. When you look at the beer can cream ale from Blue Gold Brewing, it's subtle. You can see the McCormick Hall in the background, but this is very professional. Yeah. and Very professional. She's actually picked up by Carl Collective right now, another student venture within Marquette that's kind of helped pave the way for these students to have that experience that's so crucial before their career starts. The other Marquette students who put the work into the beer can cream ale are Lisa Gandolfi, Owen Crapman, and Sarah Richardson. Look for Blue and Gold Brewing's The Beer Can Cream Ale on the shelves in Milwaukee and Waukesha liquor stores and at Woodman's to taste it or treat your favorite Marquette fan to a four-pack. Black History Month on the big screen and my surreal sideline celebrity moment at the 1994 Super Bowl. That's next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. You're listening to What's on Tap with Sandy Max on WTMJ. This monumental moment in black history is sponsored by Tayback Law, Educators Credit Union, Freighted and the Medical College of Wisconsin, and American Family Insurance. Justice Lewis Butler Jr., born and raised in Chicago, will go on to make history right here in our great state of Wisconsin. Butler started his path towards history by receiving his law degree from the University of Wisconsin in 1977. Shortly after receiving his degree, Butler went straight into public service working as an assistant state public defender, Milwaukee Municipal Court Judge, and Milwaukee County's 9th Branch Circuit Court Judge between 1979 and 2004. Butler's hard work and dedication to serving the people did not go unnoticed, and in 2004, Lewis Butler became Wisconsin State Supreme Court Justice Lewis Butler Jr., making him the first and only African-American to serve on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. Justice Lewis Butler, a pioneer breaking down barriers in the state of Wisconsin. This monumental moment in black history is sponsored by Tayback Law, Educators Credit Union, Freighted and the Medical College of Wisconsin, and American Family Insurance. I adore ways of making Black History Month accessible and fun as a gateway to learning and connection. Milwaukee Film is doing a great job with that this month at the Oriental Theater, Black History Month on the big screen of all kinds of films. If you like to be scared by what you see on the big screen, the horror movie Nanny is coming up this week with an after-movie discussion. And if you enjoy documentaries, 
Invisible Beauty is all about racial diversity in the fashion industry and another documentary produced by Al Roker. Yes, TV's Al Roker. It's called Gaining Ground, and it looks at the current status and challenges for black farming. That will be the closing night film on the 29th. So check your listings at the Oriental Theater if those movies sound interesting. Football fun with Usher admiration, a 1994 celebrity sighting, and a football love song. I'm Sandy Max. That's all ahead on What's on Tap on WTMJ. Hmm, cheese doodles, Mr. Nougat Bar. Oh, here we go, four-door hatchback. Some things are fine to buy from a vending machine, but a car's not one of them. That national online company makes it seem convenient, but it won't be so convenient if you have a problem with the vehicle you buy. And if it's after seven days, good luck. Adam member dealers also let you search online, plus test drive the vehicle before you buy it. And they're right here to handle any issues. What? The car's stuck. No! Start your search at adamm.com. WTMJ's Vince Vitrano for Inspired Closets. Did you know people with shoe racks are seven times more likely to be on time for work? Inspired Closets will help you calm the chaos in your closets or your laundry room, your pantry, any space that needs it. They come out for a free visit, listen to your needs, and then use their special 3D software to customize a space that helps you manage your world. Call my friends Katie and Dan today, wife, husband, team, ready to help. Inspired days start in Inspired Closets. Inspired Closets, mke.com. AccuRight Tax and Financial Services has Toshiba copiers and network printers from James Imaging Systems. President CEO Jason Rose. We have 17 different tax preparers on staff and we have four printers running pretty much nonstop and during tax season it's absolutely crazy. And Jason, those printers from James Imaging Systems have to work just as hard and reliably as your people do. Oh yeah, yeah. something comes up that's an issue, we have somebody that we can call that can help us resolve the issue very quickly and efficiently. Reliable printing, reliable service. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. That helps tremendously keep us being productive, keeps those tax returns going. Jason, bottom line for your practice? Happy clients, happy workers, happy me. Don't worry, be happy with document imaging technology and extraordinary local support from James Imaging Systems. Call 262-781-7700. James Imaging Systems, your local business technology partner. This is What's on Tap with Sandy Max. I don't think anybody's taken the bet that Usher will not perform Yeah at the Super Bowl halftime show. Earlier this week, former news anchor Toya Washington and I shared our Super Bowl experiences. You might be very surprised who I met on the sidelines in January 1994 before he took over all the headlines later that year. And both Toya and WTMJ producer Aaron Pelican were really impressed by a recent CBS Sunday morning interview with Usher. Toya, what did you learn in that interview? Well, it was just, I mean, I forgot Ursher. like how, Ursher. <laughs> I forgot how, how expansive his catalog is and how long he truly has been around and just how he's kind of, I don't know, it's like it's manifested this and like how long he had to keep it a secret that he would be headlining. That's what I was going to say. Yes. You, this isn't just rehearsal week for him. I wonder how long 
when does that process start working with production? Was it August 11th or something like that when they announced where the next Super Bowl was going to be? Yeah, yeah, you're right on that. And I actually saw the same segment, and he was talking about like how he had to keep it from his kids. Yes, and there and was co- there was code words in the house when because they didn't even want the kids to know. They and, said they would say Utah when they were talking about the Super Bowl. Yes. They'd say like he'd be on the phone, and be like, oh, you know, uh, how's Utah coming along? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. It was it was really it was a good interview, wasn't it? It was awesome. I also love. I'm a sucker for Sunday morning. So uh, yeah, yes, that was I just am, a good throw. I, I used to like. I couldn't stand it when my dad would turn that on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so boring. And this is now it's. I'm like, surprised when you it's sound like TV. you. It's it, they're very well done. Aaron, what did you learn from the Usher interview on Sunday? Oh, just that he's a cool dude. Like you know, <laughs> right? like I don't. He just he just seems so relatable and like a guy that I could just sit down and kick it with. Like I, like you know, he just came off as just a normal guy. And I yeah. thought that that I like 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 we'd be saying. up in the pickup line together, picking up our kids from school at the same time, just having yeah. a conversation. That's what he felt like. Exactly. Also, I would love to know what jacket. What kind of jacket did he have on? It was like it looked like a Nike hoodie type of thing, but they never pan. I never could see what the brand was, <laughs> and whether I'm sure it wasn't Nike. It was something that I probably can't afford. So let's just that's let's just move end on. Of story. I always like, you know, even if I'm not excited about who the talent is, I'm always excited to see the level of production because I'm a big fan of I've been an extra on TV shows just because I not the only reason, but but I'm fascinated by all it takes to create a movie, a TV show, even behind the scenes here at the radio station. Like I walk back into the engineering room and it's like, wow, all of this. To keep that going, you know? Yes. I saw the documentary about the halftime show. It was the one that had Snoop Dogg. It was all the original L.A. rap and and just the set design and and the people power it takes to move all of those pieces out and in and then the group dancers. Is that when they called 50 Cent a dollar and a half? (laughs) Is that... I'm that, pretty sure, yes. yeah. <laughs> that was a great Super Bowl show, by the way. It was, it was, and I, I don't mean to throw shade, but that took me out that day. He's not, he not fifty cent. He a dollar fifty. He came in like upside down, like in the music video, and yeah, yes. really, really quickly you realize, yeah, he's, you know, he's gotten older. Yes, yes we all do. <laughs> but that massive amount of production where everything has to go right, and how do you rehearse that? How long do you have the? the stadium for to set up all of that and tear it down and make sure that the timing there's just so much that goes into that with the producers and the rehearsal like i'm fascinated by that and i i had the moment to do something like that on a very small scale Mm -hmm. i was at the pre-game show at super bowl 1994 it was my first job out of college i lived in atlanta and the radio station i worked with we got to be on the sideline. It was a team of about 12 of us, including our morning show. Mm-hmm. And our job for the pregame show was to hustle out these huge inflatables. One of them was a huge inflatable boombox. But oh. then the real shot was we had to hustle out and, and hustle back <laughs> this inflatable Lombardi trophy. Oh my God. I can't even tell you how tall it was. But so we're walking it out uh-huh. and then it's got to be, you know, strapped down. Yep. And what we didn't realize as we're crouching down, <laughs> prepared to walk it back off the sidelines in time to clear the field for the game to start, there's pyro around us oh. in a circle. So, da, 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 here's the Lombardi trophy. 
Oh and we're gosh. like, oh, 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 oh. There's things. There's Nobody fire. told us about yes. that. So. I would have put my hair up had I known. It was a heck of an experience. It was super fun. And one of the pre-show performers in 1994 at the brand new Georgia Dome. Can you guess? If you reel back to that time. 90. 1994. Warm it up, Chris. I'm about to. Oh. Chris Cross. Chris Cross. Remember their clothing line? Oh, they wore yes. backwards. They wore yes. their pants backwards. Yes, 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 yes. They were surly during rehearsal. Oh. They were not pleasant young men. I don't know where they are now. But but just, it, so it brings back all these memories. But the crazy thing about being in a Super Bowl environment, even 30 years ago, mm-hmm. so much of the hoopla and it's this focus of all these stars and all these athletes, and it was the Bills against the Cowboys that year. And I remember seeing Joe Namath, and he was this about as big around as a pencil in a huge, white, fluffy fur jacket. Uh-huh. And he was just king. You know, he was the mayor. He was walking and waving. People loved Joe Namath. I think my boyfriend got a photo of him at the time. But, you know, these are when you had the snap cameras. Yes. You didn't you have pray, a cell and you, phone. And you pray that it turns out. You get it yes. once. Yeah. So, um, but I also got to meet a very famous football star at the time in 1994. And that is? He was an NBC broadcaster. And here came... Oh, here we go. O.J. Simpson. And we all were like, Wow. OJ. Hey, could we get a photo with you? Yes, that was prior to. And, well, six months later, the next time I saw him, he was in a white, white Ford Bronco. <laughs> uh, but what? Uh, what but then everybody was like, well, you met him. Did you get a creepy vibe off him? Like, no, well, you're no. so starstruck. It's, well, it, he was in his element, and there was so much overstimulation. But, like, we knew it was him. So it was yeah. like, hey, can we get a photo with you? So we got a photo, which I think uh, producer Aaron has on our YouTube channel right now. Uh-huh. Even with the date, one thirty ninety four because it was yes. an old camera. Yes. <laughs> that printed the date. The film yes. would, would print yeah. there. So it's me next to O.J. Simpson holding the NBC microphone, sharply dressed, probably had Italian shoes on, and I'm not being flippant. I mean, yeah. this is his prom. It's yeah. Super Bowl, for gosh yeah. sake. And the one thing I remembered from meeting him was just that he had so much like pancake makeup on because he was doing television. So I just remember like he almost looked like a wax figure because he was just so so made up. up. Uh, But he was, I mean, no, he's in his element. He was, he stopped and paused and was polite and wasn't jokey or weird or anything, but it was like professional. It was like, thanks. Thanks, OJ. My only Super Bowl story, and I, we would have <laughs> parties and do all that kind of stuff, but we had the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl 2018 in Minneapolis. Pink performed the night before. Oh. Justin Timberlake also performed the halftime show at the Super Bowl that I was at in 2018. And if you recall, they were doing a tribute to Prince. And I remember oh. being like, I love you so much, Justin Timberlake, but please do not mess this up. Prince please is sacred, especially yes. halftime Super Bowl shows. Yes. Prince in the Rain. Yes. Arguably one of the very best halftime shows ever. 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 If you want to see that photo with O.J. Simpson, you can go back to the WTMJ YouTube channel or, heck, pop me an email, sandy at WTMJ.com, if you're curious to see that snapshot. The song you need to hear next, it is not an Usher song. You'll hear plenty of those at halftime tonight. It is a football song by a rowdy friend of mine who passed away earlier this week. That's next on What's on Tap. And now, feast your ears. This is the song you need to hear. Most blogs going to be playing at 10. These go to 11. A football song by the late, great, and bodacious Mojo Nixon. Unfortunately, Mojo passed away just a few days ago due to a cardiac event. I got to get to know him in the 1990s. He played several Summerfest shows, and he's best known for the amusingly catchy song, 
Elvis is everywhere. Well, that is a very fun song. This is the song you need to hear. Mojo Nixon, not as much as football. I'm Sandy Max. It's What's on Tap on WTMJ.